0: Welcome to episode number four of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast, the podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and also to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we will be speaking with Mikhail Gershfeld, a professional practice professor at Cal Poly Pomona. We're going to talk about mass timber and some of the new and innovative things happening with this material that dates a long way back. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers build their core or soft skills.
1: And I'm your other host, Nat Picardle. I'm also a licensed engineer, a structural engineer practicing in California with an undergraduate degree from Cal Poly Pomona and a master's in structural engineering from UC San Diego. I also host a new YouTube channel Structural Engineering Life through which I'm focused on promoting the structural engineering profession to engineering students and young professionals that aren't too familiar with the industry perspective.
0: Through this podcast Matt and I plan to try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every single episode. Now, before we get started, This is a free show and our sponsors help us keep it free. So we ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, CSI. Computers and Structures Inc. is recognized globally as the pioneering leader in software tools for structural and earthquake engineering. Software from CSI is used by thousands of engineering firms in over 160 countries for the design of major projects. CSI's software is backed by more than four decades of research and development, making it the trusted choice of sophisticated design professionals everywhere. Listen up later in this episode where I will tell you more about their great software packages and how they can help you. We'd also like to give a shout out to the Structural Engineering Institute of ASCE, which did inspire Matt and I. Actually, that's where Matt and I met at their Congress and where we talked about starting this podcast. SEI is a dynamic community of more than 30,000 members from around the world, advancing and serving structural engineering while influencing change on broader issues that shape the entire civil engineering community. Gain technical, professional, and leadership experience by participating in your local SEI chapter or graduate student chapter at an SEI conference or through an SEI committee effort. Now, here are a few SEI events coming up where you can learn from the experts. There's the iconic Global Structures event in Dubai, the United Arab Emirates, September 29th and 30th, 2019. The registration deadline for that is September 3rd. Structures Congress, April 5th through 8th, 2020 in St. Louis, Missouri. Apply for student or young professional scholarship by January 3rd. And the Electrical Transmission and Substation Structures Conference, September 19th through 23rd, 2021 in Orlando, Florida. You can check all that out on the ASCE website. You can really just Google ASCE SEI to find all of that information. All right. So for this episode, as I mentioned earlier, we have Mikhail Gershfeld. He's going to talk about wood. And it's an interesting topic. He really dove into it deep and he was Matt's professor at school. So I'm actually going to kick it over to Matt and let him introduce his former professor.
1: Yeah, it was really cool to to reach out to him. and And I know he's always going on wood. I mean, that's his thing, wood. And it was great to see how passionate he is. But to get into the intro, Mikhail Groschfeld essi is a professional practice professor at Cal Poly Pomona. He has over 30 years of experience of design, education, and management experience. His present interest is in design of wood structures, and his efforts are focused on making it an integral part of civil engineering education. He's presently the chair of the Wood Education Institute, a startup organization developing online educational modules. Related to design of wood structures for undergraduate, graduate, and continuing education programs. Mikhail also served as the chair of the ASCE Wood Education Committee. He has also divested from all business activities and is devoting his time to teaching. This is his passion and what he loves doing. So let's jump right in.
0: All right. Now we're excited to welcome Mikhail Gershfeld, professional practice professor at Cal Poly Pomona to the Structural Engineering Channel podcast. Mikhail, welcome.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: So, Mikhail, we're going to, of course, dive into the topic of wood, which is what you are passionate about. But before we do that, maybe you can give our audience just a little bit of a background on yourself and kind of how you became interested in wood that material, what made you passionate about it, what made you really want to focus on it?
2: Well, as a structural engineer, you tend to work with, uh, with all the materials that are available to you. Whereas, well, I was actually in practice running my own company, and we had to work with concrete, steel, wood. And, all. and in California, wood is, is a fairly popular material for anything up to about five stories. I already was exposed to wood on, a, on a, what we call a light frame construction. But when I started teaching at Cal Poly in around 2006, I was doing actually some research work for APA, trying to understand why wood is not being taught at at U.S. universities. And when I was interviewing the chair of the Cal Poly Civil Engineering Department, he actually said, well, because we don't have someone to teach wood, and he asked me if I'm really interested in doing this. And so I took that on and started teaching part-time initially, then full-time ultimately. And what I realized is not only there's not enough people who are teaching wood, but there is also a limited amount of research being done in wood. As a university professor who's supposed to be doing some academic research, I start looking at different areas where the research would be most valuable. And so wood happens to be the area that, that I was lacking. that. And so I pursued that area.
0: That's great. And we're going to jump into a, a lot of interesting aspects of wood here in this episode. But before we do that, I have one very important question for you, which is, was Matthew a good student?
2: Matthew is a student? Well, I only have good memories about Matthew. I won't comment on his grades. This is confidential information.
0: We'll just take that he was a good student. There you go, Matt. You're safe. Don't worry about it. It was good. All right. So let's jump into this topic. This is what our listeners want to hear about. And we know that wood is oldest structural material, but it has been evolving over the last 20 years. So can you talk a little bit about that evolution?
2: The wood is a structural material we've used for quite a while. I mean, we can, as far as we remember, I think it's uh, technically, if you, if you put a date on it, it dates all the way to 10,000 BC. But as a, as a material that we use today, I refer to it as a modern wood, but uh, the common terminology today is mass timber. For light frame construction, we still use regular stone lumber, but we also use quite a bit of that mass timber material, which is made basically your glue end beams, your parallel strand lumber your LVL, laminate, veneer, lumber, even plywood. These are all materials made out of stone lumber glued together to create a mass timber or modern wood.
0: And there's also some of these different beams or columns, maybe talk through something. I mean, you hear commonly LVL, CLT.
2: So if you think in terms of what actually created current revolution with use of wood or sometimes referred to as a renaissance of wood is the development of these mass wood panels. And these and, uh, today they come in two or three different uh, types or configurations. One is the, the, the CLT or cross-laminated timber. The other is mass plywood panels. And third one commonly uses nail-laminated timber, either nail-laminated or dull-laminated timber. They actually have similar performance characteristics. The last two are actually what started this whole idea of uh, this massive panels made out of wood. The nice thing is that these panels could be Typically, they're made in about 10 to 12 feet wide, but I mean, it's all limited by equipment size. In length, they're typically, I think in the United States, the longest you can get today is about 42 feet, but in other countries, you can get them even longer, and they're also limited just by the size of equipment you're using. But these panels can be used as your wall panels, as your floor panels, as your roof panels, and so they've kind of changed the dynamics of how we put buildings together out of wood.
0: From speaking with you earlier, we know that these panels, while newer here in the U.S., have been used in Europe extensively. Why is it taking longer for the use of these here in the U.S.?
2: There are a couple of reasons. One is uh, we are pretty happy with what we have. And we generally, in construction, is moving at a much slower speed than most of the other industries. If you look in terms of the progress of construction, we have very rigid code systems, we have rigid approval processes. So any kind of innovation takes a very long time to implement. We've tried over the last couple of decades to kind of find ways and relax things a little bit so innovations becomes more possible. And so I think Europe is probably set up better to accommodate innovations than the United States right now, in construction at least. Probably the other reason is our codes also limit the height that we can use for wood. And so it's the process even with Today, after 20 years of this material being used in Europe, still it's going to take us probably another five years before this material becomes a material in our construction.
0: I know also that these new panels offer some aesthetic benefits. Maybe you could speak on that a little bit. It seems that people like them aesthetically.
2: If we present this, this construction material to architects and engineers, the architects will pretty instantly fall in love with this because of this aesthetic characteristics. The engineers will be very skeptical and we're really asking tons of questions how this material is actually going so that we limit our liability and also don't expose public to possible failures of the material. As a material, wood is traditionally, we've always used wood, and so we love trees, we live the outdoors, and so we have this natural connection with wood. When you're in a, in a spaces where wood is being used, it creates a, a kind of warm environment. that People in generally enjoy it. They've done some studies that actually show that people, the well-being in an office environment improves if you have some wood type of material uh, in the interior.
1: From a structural standpoint, it seems like it's yes, it's a new material, but I guess construction-wise, structural-wise, I know it seems like you know we typically use concrete. It seems like the loads would get lighter. Maybe. Faster construction process. Can you go through some of the benefits of using mass timber that maybe structural engineers that aren't too familiar with it? If you think of uh, of wood as a wood fiber
2: as a structural material, the wood fiber is extremely, has very good uh, structural quality. It actually has the higher strength to weight ratio than steel. So by itself, it's pretty strong. The reason the, the wood as a material is kind of weaker is because we have a lot of. Various things that uh, we, what we call, would refer to as strength-reducing characteristics. You have knots, you have cold hole, knot holes. You have uh, gray, uh, the, the fiber that is not parallel that gets around the knot, so you overall stre- strength of material gets reduced. When you take natural wood, then there is quite a bit of variability in strength, so that's what drives the, your allowable stresses or your ultimate stresses kind of low. However, when you take these individual pieces and you glue them together into larger pieces, such as glue and beams or CLT panels, you kind of disperse all of these characteristics and your overall strength of materials goes up. And so it allows you to have higher strength of material. The strength of the, of the wood is, probably could be compared to a 3,000 PSI concrete. Generally, you could go up a little bit higher, but generally that's kind of a good indication what the wood is capable of doing. In terms of uh, the, the most significant benefit is the wood is lighter. It reduces weight significantly. This becomes uh, you know, extremely important when you design in, in high seismicity areas. Trying to reduce the seismic loads by 10%, 15 20 30% takes quite a bit of effort on our part usually. We come up with all kinds of systems to do that. Here you can reduce your seismic loads by just changing the mass of your building.
1: Especially if the, the soil is... You're on a site that doesn't have great soil and you have a tall structure, reducing the weights like that. I mean, it seems like a good alternative because with concrete, there's not a lot of ways you can reduce the seismic weight. But if you change the material, it seems like that's a good alternative to do that also.
2: So that's a great point. So, in terms of foundation design, you probably will reduce your foundation of loading from gravity loads. If you're in overturning considerations and that weight is actually helping you, that will increase your loads. Where this became very popular in Europe is they have these older buildings that they try to expand upward at an extra floor. And so by using these CLT panels, they're able to keep the loads so light that they don't have to do a lot of retrofitting of the existing foundations. That's where it became really popular in Europe.
1: And what about the sustainability of wood? I know there's a lot of environmental benefits. Could you talk about that?
2: We often refer to materials as uh, We often refer to sustainable construction. I think we should really distinguish between sustainable and recyclable. I mean, you can be sustainable by recycling your material, or you can be sustainable by recreating your materials. Well, with with steel and concrete, you cannot really recreate your material. Once it's pulled out of the ground and used, the best we can do to kind of maintain sustainability is to recycle as much of it as possible. Once we deplete our resources of steel or concrete or rock or sand, then we are done. With timber, they're like regular crops. If we properly manage it, we can actually grow our trees, collect them you know, in 25, 30 years, uh, use them to create building materials, and then grow a new set of trees for the next generation to use. The nice thing about growing trees is they actually have this amazing mechanism I'm pulling carbon and CO2 out of the atmosphere and converting it to oxygen, which is exactly what we want to be able to do to reduce our green gas effects. And so if we're able to do this while creating this construction material, and then instead of destroying it, we pull it off the forest and create structural material and then store it in our buildings, then we've just solved a major problem.
1: So building out of wood, it kind of just becomes a re- renewable resource because it produces uh, or stores CO2 and it produces oxygen, and it's, like you're saying, it, I mean, if we run out of trees, it's pretty much like a crop. So it is kind of like, you know, wood, but there are, I think the main concern with people going with wood is, what about the fire resistance? You know, you think of a forest and it burns down. How did the testing go with the fire resistance on, on mass timber, and is that a concern?
2: Well, the fire resistance comes up as probably the first question people ask about using wood for construction. And it's a valid question because we historically, we've seen a lot of fires in San Francisco, in Chicago, where wood structures have basically the whole cities were burned down. There's a couple of things we have to keep in mind. There's a difference between light frame construction and mass timber construction. There's also significant developments in fire protection technologies we have developed. We can protect material and the assemblies would have to meet certain fire ratings for buildings regardless of what you're using. So whether your roof assembly or floor assembly or wall assembly is made out of steel, concrete or wood, they still have to meet the same fire ratings in order to be used for construction. Another thing to remember is probably that the same concerns we have with timber were also raised when we were building buildings with steel because steel is not combustible material but it is a meltable material. So when the temperature gets above a certain level, the uh, steel loses most of its strength and a lot of failures of steel in a fire is not really reversible. With wood it's interesting when you use mass timbers, they as it starts uh, charring, it forms a char around wood and creates a protective insulating layer. So as long as we account for that charring and we can provide an extra dimensions to our structure and the, the wood can successfully withstand even by today's code We can withstand one hour fire rating. There's enough evidence that we can support two and three hours with this mass timber if properly protected.
0: All right. So, Mikhail, I'm a structural engineer. You sold me. I want to start using more wood on my projects. What organizations out there can support me, that can educate me? Can you mention some of the organizations that provide assistance or support?
2: A couple of organizations in the United States that's going to be probably to you most helpful. One is the Woodworks. And they're very targeted. They're, if you are, have a real project that you want to work on, they're probably the best people to contact because they have local sales technical team to actually be able to come to your office and will be able to actually walk you through what's available, what research is available, what's possible with today's codes and technologies. That's kind of our hands-on design help. If you need to research some things and find out a little bit more about how certain things work and you want to jump in, into depth, the Tollwood Design Institute, which is a collaboration of uh, University of Oregon uh, Department of Architecture, and then also Oregon State University College of, of Engineering and College of Forestry, they formed this Tollwood Design Institute where they actually uh, support industry applied research related to mass timber. And they're located in uh, University of Oregon is in Eugene, Oregon, and uh, Oregon State University is in Corvallis, Oregon. And they're just completing this wonderful Emerson Laboratory, which is about 16,000 square feet testing facilities, where they'll be able to do all kinds of testing. They also get regular grants that they award based on the industry needs and what can best serve to moving this mass timber use forward. I would also recommend for engineers who are really interested is to attend a couple conferences that deal with timber. One is the World Conference of Timber Engineering, which occurs every two years. It's an international conference and probably one of the largest conferences that specifically focuses on timber and timber design. The educators, you know, the researchers, and the professionals pretty much all over the world gather to present papers and to discuss the innovations in mass timber. There is also Mass Timber Conference in Portland that's been, I think, if i Remember correctly, it's been running now for four years, maybe on its fifth year. But it's a, it's a little bit smaller conference, maybe 800 to 1200 attendees now. It started with very small with 200 attendees. And it's uh, US based and it focuses on the latest developments in mass timber in the United States.
0: Wow, lots of good information there. And don't worry, we're going to list all of those resources in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at structuralengineeringchannel.com, episode number four. So we'll be sure to list them.
2: I'll just make one note. Uh, what, what's interesting is when you go to these international conference on timber, there is very limited representations from the United States. It would be nice to have a better U.S. representation there.
0: Yeah, it is important because you know we're talking about how the U.S. is taking more time with some of these efforts than other countries. And that may be part of the reason because we're not getting involved in getting out there. So with all that being said, there are some new code changes that are going to take effect in 2021 in regard to mass timber. Can you speak on some of the biggest changes that structural engineers should be aware of that are coming with this change?
2: Well, the major changes have to do with building fire ratings. It, they basically, if you're using mass timber, they will allow you to build buildings up to 18 stories high. They're introducing three additional types of construction, the type four construction. And these three types of construction, they allow you to build. Between six to nine stories, where you allow to have a mass timber exposed, nine to 12 stories, where you have to limit exposure of mass timber, and then 12 to 18 story, where I believe all the timber has to be covered. And mostly that's to get fire, higher fire ratings. This was pretty well wetted by, uh, I believe, Cal Fire and building officials. And so I'm sure this is IBC. Uh, this is going to be an IBC code. But uh, all jurisdictions uh, and municipalities will have to do their own adoptions, and I suspect that not all of them will fully embrace what IBC is allowing. But I can definitely see buildings anywhere between 6 to 12 stories uh, being allowed. This is probably the best place for mass timber to be used because we right now have an interesting gap between the life frame construction and concrete or steel construction. And that gap is between five, six stories to about 10, 12 stories, where economically, the use of steel and concrete becomes not really feasible. In other words, for developers, it doesn't pencil out. So I think mass timber can offer some interesting solutions in that range of market.
0: So those are some pretty impactful changes. So that'll be interesting. And just to state this, Professor, and you can reinforce this and talk on this, but there are a significant number of mass timber buildings that are already built that engineers and architects can refer to, correct?
2: That's correct. There's uh, quite a few buildings built in Europe, New Zealand, Australia. And in Europe, I should probably be more specific, Austria, France, Germany, Switzerland, some of the Scandinavian countries, Norway specifically. There's also buildings in, in Canada that have been built using mass timber. And there are a number of buildings in the United States. They're not yet highly visible, but there is a, if somebody wants to, to search, they can go and search for a T3 building in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This is probably one of the largest mass timber office buildings. Some of these buildings are all mass timber, both for vertical and lateral system. Some of them use vertical system mass timber, but the rest of the lateral system is typically either steel or concrete. An interesting case study, if everybody wants to, that, that is kind of available on, on the web, and you can do a little bit of research on that, is the Bullet Center in Seattle, which is a, a building that has two stories of concrete and four stories of uh, wood with a braced frame lateral system. And so it kind of uses the best of all the materials. And I think this is where, where we can take advantage of this new developments and this new construction material. We could really start thinking where this material can work best. It doesn't mean that your, all the floors have to be out of wood. It doesn't mean that your roof has to be out of wood. If it's some buildings like um, student dormitories in University of British Columbia, the 18-story building, they use steel for the roof. Primarily, they were trying to kind of be a little bit more uh, careful and want to make sure that if there's any moisture issues that wood doesn't get affected. The first floor, they also build out of concrete to kind of keep the wood away from the ground. But the other floors, they're all made of wood. And their lateral system, they still use a concrete core shear walls.
1: I think in one of um, your presentations, you even mentioned something about you can mix and match it. So even with in terms of the centers of rigidity, it opens up a whole new field of, of materials that we could look forward to in the future. In terms of the future, I know there's a lot of manufacturing facilities for mass timber that are popping up in the U.S. Could you talk about some of the trends that and where you think these production facilities are going and kind of the demand that you see in the future?
2: The manufacturers with the greatest experiences in use of this material are, are in Europe, primarily because they have been doing this for, for quite a while. And are probably half of them allocated in Austria. They're Austrian-based companies, and they've built buildings in UK, Germany, Switzerland, Austria. The next kind of most experienced facilities are probably in British uh, Columbia or in Canada. I think they also have some facilities on the East Coast. And so those are your Structural M and Nordica. Those are two companies that have been building, using mass timber for a while. The two companies that are available currently in the United States on the West Coast, they are GR Johnson. This is the only company that's right now using, first of all, our Douglas for their CLT panels. And they are right now fully APA approved manufacturer. They're quickly expanding. I think they've added, to their existing facilities, some additional capabilities. And I believe they're continuing expanding their facilities. The need for this product is growing fairly quick. The other interesting company is Prairie's Lumber. This company is, you know, they've been building LDL material and plywood, and so they come from that background. So they've developed this new material called mass plywood panels, and they've invested over $30 million in building this state-of-the-art new facility. Any of the engineers would want to see how these facilities work. That's probably a great example, and it's competitive with what you will find in some of the high-quality European manufacturing uh, facilities. There are a couple of plants that are coming online. I think if you haven't heard the name Katera, you'll probably hear it in a year or two. It's a company that's coming from a Silicon Valley investment. It's uh, funded by SoftBank by about around $900 million. And they're just completing, I believe, scheduled to open in June a large facility to manufacture CLT panels for their own use. And I believe they'll be available for others to purchase.
1: Even with these manufacturing plants, I mean, a lot of it's going to be uh, kind of like prefabricated. So everything needs to be extremely precise on the way they cut things. I think the benefits of this is if you... For those that haven't seen some of these CLT connections, a lot of them are concealed. And really, I think one of the benefits is aesthetic look of it. It looks nice. It looks just wood. You don't see a whole bunch of steel plates popping out. But it does require a lot of close collaboration with the architects. Can you expand upon, I guess, what the collaboration looks like between the architect and the engineer, especially with CLT and and how that works in terms of collaboration?
2: That's a great question. Because this material is not fully approved by the codes and you have to go through alternative means and methods, so you have to collaborate with all parties involved to make sure that everybody is working off the same standards. So you have to basically make sure that your architects, engineers, contractors, manufacturers, they all are on board early on and everybody develop a common strategy and common approach to design. I would probably refer to as as an old fashioned real engineering where you don't have prescriptive solutions you actually have to think through to you through your performance of every component how they're going to work are they going to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish so it's really engineering at it's best the other interesting thing is because wood tends to be an exposed material there is desire in architects to also expose to all the connections and so the connections can no longer be these slap on plates that are going to be hidden by drywall and other finishes or suspended ceiling You're going to have to work with architects to make sure these connections are actually aesthetically attractive. If you do a little bit of searching, looking for some of these buildings already been built, you'll find out that these connections have become what uh, my colleague in architecture calls the jewelry of the design. So you design the building out of wood, and then the connections become the jewelry that makes it actually look even nicer.
0: Architects sometimes make things look prettier than engineers, but we as engineers need to make sure that they hold up. And that's why we have a lot of interesting topics.
2: And you'll probably notice that some of the most amazing projects are built and designed by architects and engineers doing real collaboration.
0: For sure. It's, there's no doubt that, especially in today's world, as these projects get more complex, that the communication and the collaboration between architects, engineers, and other professionals in the field is becoming more and more critical. So once again, we're speaking with Mikhail Gershfeld, professional practice professor at Cal Poly Pomona. It's been a very informative discussion here around mass timber, and we're gonna give you our elastic modulus segment where we're gonna ask Professor Gershfeld a question related to his career. So stick with us for a second. Now it's time for our Elastic Modulus segment of the show. The Elastic Modulus is a quantity that measures an object or substance's resistance to being deformed elastically when a stress is applied to it. In this segment of the show, we ask our guests about a difficult time in their career where they had to overcome a challenge of some sort, where maybe they bent, but they didn't break, and they ultimately learned from the situation. But before we dive into the Elastic Modulus segment, we do want to once again Recognize our sponsor for this episode, CSI. CSI produces five primary software packages, SAP 2000, CSI Bridge, ETABS, SAFE, and Perform3D. Each of these programs offers unique capabilities and tools that are tailored to different types of structures and problems, allowing users to find just the right solution for their work. SAP2000 is intended for use on civil structures such as dams, communication towers, stadiums, industrial plants, and buildings. CSI Bridge offers powerful parametric design of concrete and steel bridges. ETABS has been developed specifically for multi-story commercial and residential building structures such as office towers, apartments, and hospitals. The SAFE system provides an efficient and powerful program for the analysis and design of concrete slabs and foundations, with or without post-tensioning. Perform 3D is a highly focused nonlinear tool offering powerful performance-based design capabilities. With CSI products, you can be confident that you have the finest structural engineering software available, backed by a company with an unmatched record of innovation and an unrivaled commitment to meet the ever-evolving needs of the profession. You can learn more about them at www.csiamerica.com. All right, so we're back with Mikhail. Gershfeld, professional practice professor at Cal Poly Pomona. And Mikhail, in this Elastic Modulus segment, we want to ask you, our careers have a lot of ups and downs. We learn things, we you know, have an upswing in our career, then maybe we have a challenge, it's a downswing, and it's constantly kind of reinventing ourselves in some ways. What is a something in your career, a challenge that you had to deal with that you overcame that you can kind of look back on now and reflect on and talk to us a little bit about?
2: I would consider a couple of things. One was um, I always loved teaching. And so I was while I was practicing structural engineering, I always enjoyed you know, teaching and I taught part-time. And then eventually in early 1980s, I was also teaching full-time. But at some point you can't really do both. It's just time-wise you're not able to do it. So you have to make a decision. Do you continue teaching or do you continue practicing engineering? That was a tough choice for me. I eventually decided to just pursue practicing engineering, but uh, was fortunate to be able to come back to it and do it again later in my career. That's one challenge. The other challenge was I had an opportunity to do something other than pure structural engineering, so I had to walk away from structural engineering for a short while. And uh, it was um, another difficult decision, but what I've learned from it is that All right. our education as structural engineers, or so civil engineers in general, and structural engineers specifically, is probably one of the best educations you can have. We have uh, most of the people who end up in structural engineering; they tend to be uh, high conscientious individuals with a uh, very high quality analytical skills and ability in problem solving skills. We should not pigeonhole ourselves. That's all we can do. There's so many other things we can do in it from so many different areas. And our expertise is not just in sizing members. Our expertise is to see bigger picture and be able to figure out what the problem is, and then find the way to solve them. I wish more engineers would actually see themselves more than just engineers, that they're involved in politics, uh, education, other areas, a little bit maybe not so technical. And from our point of view, I guess those of us who love structural engineering is is highly challenging and exciting, but uh, step a little bit from it and actually participate in in, uh, other parts of societal efforts.
0: I agree with you 100%. And I've felt that way myself since I got my engineering degree because I do feel like it gives you a lot of flexibility in your career. And you don't necessarily have to be married to one civil engineering discipline or one kind of engineering work just because you have this background and you've been given a tool to do analytical work and think of things in frameworks. And I've even, you know, you apply it in your personal life in different situations. So I would really agree with that. And that's why sometimes when I talk to students that are considering an engineering degree or maybe business, I often tell them like, listen, you can get an engineering degree and then go into business and do finance, but you can't get a finance degree and then go into engineering. What professor said there is really important to remember is that your degree and your training as a civil engineer or structural engineer really gives you a lot of adaptability and it can be used in in many different ways. So keep that in mind. That's a great message.
2: It gives you the breadth that most other programs do not offer.
0: Especially as
1: a student going into the industry, first couple of years, yes, you're very into the engineering, but a couple of years into it, you start to see different aspects of it in terms of of business, the client communications. I mean, all those things aren't so much technical, but kind of the bigger picture stuff, uh, like even public speaking, getting into client relationships, business management. There's a lot of things that as you get further into the, your career, there's a lot of things that you can branch off into. And yeah, I completely agree. We're not just technical. We have a lot more to offer.
2: I would also suggest those who are ambitious to start their own companies or go for business business for themselves is to really consider you know, what kind of businesses they want to have because there's there are different ways to, especially if you're moving into engineering business, you can have what I refer to as a boutique engineering firms which specialize in very unique structures. And usually it's a one-man show with supporting staff. And that's for those who love doing engineering and running numbers and solving problems. But if you like working with people and you like managing teams and you like to have larger projects, then that's a different type of organization. So don't shortchange yourself or don't go into wrong business type if this is not for you.
0: All right. Once again, Professor, thank you for spending some time with us here on the Structural Engineering Channel podcast. We really appreciate it.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you guys for thinking about me. And if you need anything, please let me know.
0: All right. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode. Just look for episode number four. We'll also link to any of the resources, websites, or books we might have mentioned during the episode And please remember to continue to send us your questions and thoughts. We'd love to hear them and we'd love to continue to create episodes that can help you in your career. So until next time, we wish you all the best in your structural engineering endeavors.